0: listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church, you can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Good morning. I did not get the Vestember memo, so if you take one of these, make sure you sign up. So mine's hunter orange anyways, so I don't think that would have worked. So, we're probably all thankful that I didn't get that memo. Uh, For those who don't know me, I'm Justin McKeldry. I'm the campus pastor at our branch in Los Alamitos. Um, Some of you may have no idea who I am, but I've actually been here a really long time 14 and a half years or so I've been here. Uh, I just haven't been up here since Mother's Day, so it is good to be with you um, this morning. Um, There's no question we live in interesting times. Uh, The last few weeks have been pretty heavy heavy enough that it could suck the life and hope right out of us, particularly if you're a 49er fan. I'm just going we'll to get that out of the way right now. Um, that's all I'm going to say, though. That's, that's it. I'm done with Seahawks uh, sports for now. Um, but seriously, on an international level, um, I was meeting with a missionary from Ukraine and all the unrest there. The, the unrest is constant in the Middle East. Nationally, we have tension in Missouri and a lot of other cities as well. The immigration issue has raised political tensions. Hopefully, Thanksgiving was joyful for you, um, but for some, the holiday brings another level of tension, Uh, whether it's the incredible heartache of loved ones who are missed or having to deal with the loved ones where you're just not feeling the love right now. Um, It can be big things or it can be small things, but either way, for some of us, in this season of hope, hope seems really distant. Christmas should be the season where the light can cut through the clouds, and come into our lives reminding us of God's light. But sometimes it's difficult. Even among all the, the stuff, the busyness, the commotion, the commercialism, it's hard to see the hope of Christmas. The cloud's thick, even though the lights are bright. It's dark. It's heavy. Thankfully, though, it seems elusive at times, the light of Christmas can break through. It can give us hope. That's why we've called this series Hope, The Light of Christmas. And this is what we're about each Sunday, really, is, is to, to, to be inspired by this hope, inspired to live and walk in Christ's power each day. Now, our world is vastly different from the biblical world of 2,000 years ago in some ways. And in some ways, it's amazingly similar. Israel, too, was under a cloud. They had been for centuries, God seems to have gone silent. They were oppressed by the Romans and they were oppressed under their thumb. Most people lived in poverty. Life was hard. It was grinding. They're just trying to get by. But they never lost hope. They had a question, an answer for the question I want to ask this morning is how do we walk in the light of hope in dark times? That's my question I want us to answer. How do we walk in the light of hope in dark times? And we're going to see how they did it. And see that we can do the same. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We've got some ushers that would be glad to bring you a loaner. Matthew chapter 1 is the first page in your New Testament. Now, when we're in dark times, as you're turning there, while we're in dark times, uh, we want something inspiring, right? Like, we want something with, with just this amazing prose or maybe even some, some fantastic poetry, something that's going to stir our hearts, maybe some background music like chariots of fire, a little slow motion. We need something to get us ready to go, to push through these difficulties. In sports terminology, it would be we need something that makes us ready to run through a brick wall, like we are ready to go. And for that, we need something to give us hope, something to inspire us. And so as you look at Matthew 1, you see what we have to work with today is a genealogy. Like, talk about the short straw on the preaching schedule, right? Like, okay, so, but there is actually some fantastic gems in here, so stick with me. Let's get to it. We have this question, Israel had it too, is how do we walk in the light of hope in dark times? Great question. The starting point is to trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. Remember Israel's context. Not a happy time, but they always had hope. Because God was going to raise up a Messiah. He was going to raise up a deliverer. And so we're going to look at the bookends of our passage, the first and last verse, verse 1 and verse 17. Verse 1 says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then in verse 17, it says, Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile, to to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Christ. One little word is what fills them with hope. In in the translation I read, it's Christ. It's it's the Messiah. The Messiah would respond to Israel's faithfulness and he would deliver them from Roman rule. He would be God's chosen ruler. He would be a king that would reestablish the golden age for Israel, which meant the Romans are out on their ear. We're in good shape. We are reestablished. We are, everything's as it's supposed to be. And this was the cultural expectation, and it's not without some biblical grounding. Isaiah was clear. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, the reason that the Messiah isn't just considered a religious leader, which is how many of us, what we think of when we think of Messiah, is that the Messiah is the Davidic king. God promised David in 2 Samuel 7 that he would always have a king on his throne. And and Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And of course, being a king has some political connotations, which means Rome's got to go. So when, we originally, when they originally heard or saw this passage, they, they understand that God's on the move, that he's about to fulfill something here. He's going to fulfill his promises because one thing that was unshakable is that they always understood that God keeps his promises. And so as we try to to have that hope within ourselves, some of us need that hope just for today or even just for tomorrow. And we need to think, what are the promises God has made to us? Because that's what some of us need right now, right? I mean, we're barely holding on. We're wondering, God, where are you right now? You're late or you're sleeping or something. The darkness is so thick, we can feel it and we're wondering, is Messiah gonna show up? Is God going to keep his promises? Now, this is just part one of the series, and this is a story in process. But as we think about trusting God for his promises, maybe we should think about what are some of his promises that he's given us. For example, he promises to give us wisdom in times of difficulty in James 1. He tells us in Hebrews 13 that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He promises us freedom in Jesus from John 8. He promises us a way out of temptation in 1 Corinthians 10. He promises us his peace in John 14 and he has promised us an inheritance and it's guaranteed by the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us in Ephesians 1. And if that was too fast to write down, it's on the study sheet, don't worry. So right now, I just want you to know God hasn't left you. I know it's dark. Bad news, it could get darker. But the good news in this is that God has not left you. He will not leave you. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's hard to believe these promises because life is so messy. Sometimes it's because of what others have done to us, sometimes it's our own doing. But even when it's messy, we can have hope. And, and you say, well, how is that? Well, that leads us to our next point. Next point is rem- remember, God's not scared of the dark. The reason I actually love this passage, I didn't draw the short straw. I, I asked for this passage when I saw an opportunity to sneak over here and do this, just to give Mike a break on Thanksgiving. I said, I, I love this passage. I think Mike rolled his eyes when he said the genealogies. And I'm like, oh, it's great stuff. Um, because the reason I love the genealogies is because it makes me pause when I think I've got God figured out. See, we can know that he will fulfill his promises, but we don't always know how he will fulfill his promises, and this is how we know this. Um, We're going to read the middle section here of uh, the genealogy from the second half of verse 6 through verse 11. We'll read the first one later, and the third one you can have for your rich devotional time this week, Um, starting in verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. That was a mouthful. The secret to those names is just say them fast and act like you know what they are, and you'll be <laughs> fine. But in this, we see God's sovereignty on full display. That's why our title today is Hope in the Light of God's Sovereignty. I mean, it's holidays. Packages are being shipped. My mom sent her first box the other day. Um, you know, the old, I don't know if it's the new one, but the old one is use FedEx when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight, right? Well, this genealogy shows us that God doesn't just work overnight. He's been working for generations. Uh, Galatians chapter four, verse four says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. The idea is that at the right time, God sent Jesus and he had been planning this from eternity past. It wasn't some just plan B that was worked out, but God has been working this plan from the beginning and he was waiting for the perfect timing. And Christmas is the unwrapping of God's sovereign plan. So that's the first way we see God's sovereignty, but that's not even the, the main thrust of this point because it isn't just the fact that God's been working for a long time. Luke's genealogy actually goes all the way back to Adam, but it's, the, it's who he uses to display his sovereignty, and that's what I really want to focus on. This genealogy, they, they, genealogies trace inheritance, status, things like that, and the genealogy of the messianic king, it should be something pretty outstanding, right? We'd be expecting the best of the best here. But it's not the case. I, I was studying, um, there's, there's some pretty shady characters. As I was studying, one of the commentaries I had gives a little bio of each king. And so I just in the margin put plus for the good ones and minus for the bad ones. And it was like plus, plus. This guy started as a minus, turned into a plus. Minus, minus, plus. Started as a plus, ended as a minus. It was all over the map, It's kind of disturbing. I mean, some of these guys were like these beacons, these Old Testament heroes. I mean, it was like the bat light. Like they were awesome. And there were some really dim bulbs here in this list. But what's amazing is that God didn't shy away from that. I mean, if you want one reason to trust your Bible, it's that they keep some of these jokers in the genealogy. If they were making this up, they would take some names out because there's some really bad guys in here. See, see, early Christians didn't try to cover it up. They didn't try to hide, it, hide some of these embarrassing names. Our faith is born in the soil of mourning and pain and even sin. And so here's what this means for us when we look at some of these people that God has in the line of the Messiah is that your past doesn't define you. At least it doesn't have to. And we covered this in the transformed by God story series that we've all got these hurts. We've all got these hangups. We've all got these habits and yet they don't have to define our future. Some of these kings were terrible. They led lots of people astray with false worship. And yet somehow their kids found Jesus, found the Lord, followed, followed the Lord. Um, all was not lost. And it isn't just maybe the baggage of our background. Some people, some kings in here, David committed adultery and killed the woman's husband off. And he's here. God used him powerfully anyways. See, even bad kings passed on the messianic line. So when we're talking about how do we walk in the light of hope during dark times, it comes down to trusting this God who is sovereign over all creation. And that includes you and your situation. And it's being confident that God's not scared of the darkness in your past or even the darkness in your present. It isn't something that he can't shine his light upon and transform. So trust God's promises, even if your past or your present is dark, and that's where we find the hope we need to endure dark times. God's not scared of the dark, so invite him in. But Christmas isn't just about enduring bad times. Some of you guys are doing just fine, right? You're saying, I love Christmas. This, you know, you're, you're doing fine for those who are bummed out by the holidays, but but. I don't want you to bum me out. You need to go back to Los Alamitos and just stay away because I'm doing just fine, thank you. And if that's where you are, that's great. But some might think you're there, but you're not really there. Because you might have forgotten that Christmas is Jesus' birthday, not yours or your kids'. Even if we love the season, the true hope of it can get obscured in what our culture puts forth as the hope of the season'. It can get lost. The true hope can get lost in all the hype. So if that's where you are, things are actually probably darker than you think. And if that's where you are, this next one's for you. How else do we find hope in dark times? And that's share hope on the margins. Share hope on the margins. Stay with me and I'll explain here. We talked about the Davidic angle in this passage, but the other big name in Judaism in this genealogy is Abraham. And long before God promised David a king, he promised Abraham A nation, and not just any nation, but a nation that would bless all other nations. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a staggering promise. You, Abraham, one guy, pushing hundred years old, you're going to bless every nation. And he only had one kid. How does he do that? Well, of course the answer is Jesus. Th- that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. But see, the thing is, is that God has always been working for and with the Gentiles, with the people on the margins. We I mean, think about genealogies again, long list of dead people, mostly men. Plenty of them kings, since this is the line of the Davidic Messiah. But I want to read the first section, since we already read the second. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Did you notice there were four women in there? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. That's Bathsheba. If you don't know their stories, Tamar dressed like a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law so that she could have a rightful heir that he was supposed to give her, a son. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth, a wonderful, virtuous woman, but she was a Moabitess. She was a Gentile. And Bathsheba was the woman that David took from her husband and saw that her husband was killed on the front lines. I mean, so much for hiding the family's dirty laundry, eh? I mean, and, and, and this is a selective genealogy, by the way. They skipped sections so that it would have the magic number of 14. If you want to know why, email me. Um, I'll let you know that. Um, but when I select stuff, I'm going to tell you the good stuff, and I'm going to keep out the bad. If we're meeting for coffee and you want me to tell you about my family, I, you know, and we're getting to know each other, I'm going to tell you the good stuff, unless I'm mad at my brother. Then I'll tell you some bad stuff. But, but um, we're, you know, we live three states apart, so we're getting along great. Um <laughs> So so, why? Why if if this is selective? Why pick these? Well, certainly the last point fits, but but what else is it? I think these are reminders of Abraham's promise that God's going to bless the nations that he's going to bless those people on the margins, that he's going to bless those people that aren't considered good church folk in our language, that God is about caring for those who are on the fringes of society. Some skeptical scholars say that, that, and I even talked to someone who, who just seemed like the Great Commission, which is in the end of Matthew's gospel, is therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And it seems to some like as Jewish as Matthew's gospel is, and it is very much so, that just seems like it's out of left field. Why did he just tack that on? It must not be what Jesus really said. But that's, if you think that, it's because you've missed the breadcrumbs that Jesus has been dropping all along. And here's some of them. Jesus, this Davidic king, this Messiah, he's for all people. It's hard to imagine a more marginalized group than these women. They were women in that society, which was not an, it was a second class citizen role to start with. On top of that, they were either immoral or Gentiles, maybe both. And yet God included them as central characters in his plan. He's always working on the margins. So Matthew's planting seeds. He's leaving breadcrumbs so that we remember, so that when we read through Matthew's gospel and we say, hey, this is great, he's risen. Wait, now we go to all nations? Wait, let me, let me see. How, how did I miss that? And we go back and we see the breadcrumbs. And then after we're done with this series, we'll get into some of Jesus's life. We'll pick up in Matthew 8 and we'll see Jesus healing Gentiles and the unclean. We'll see him talking about a mission that will go to the Gentiles in Matthew 10. See, the thing is, is this King Jesus is for everyone. See, God's heart is for the nations. His heart isn't just for Israel. His heart isn't just for America. His heart is not just for Cyprus. How important is this to remember in such a tense time in our country right now? I mean, whatever side of whatever issue you're on, don't let it leave your mind that those people, whoever you consider those people to be, whichever side you're on and you say those people, Jesus loves those people. And so we can't let our heart go to a place, or if it does go to that place where we are against those people, that we need to adjust and and have Jesus ask him to, to do a work in our hearts. See, when God chooses us, like he did Abraham, it isn't so that blessings end with us. It's so that we can pass them on even to whoever we consider those people. See, we're to be conduits of God's blessing in the world, not cul-de-sacs as a John Piper phrase. And that includes the blessing of hope, that we are chosen so that we can bless others, not so that we can just squander and sit on our blessings. Chosenness is a responsibility, not just being spoiled. And so God wants us to minister. He wants us to bless those who are hurting, those who are on the margins. Jesus said, when we care for the least, we're caring for him. And so I know this is a crazy season, but if you need to cut something out, don't let it be those little things. They seem little to us that care for those who are hurting, the, the shoe boxes, those opportunities to, to maybe feed or minister to those who are suffering and, and you know, even going to Mexico. Don't miss those opportunities. Pick this thing clean. Don't give second service an opportunity to even, even apply it here. But Jesus came to bring hope. And he's filled us with hope. And part of our responsibility is to take that hope to the margins. Take that hope to those who don't have it. So how do we find hope in dark times? Trust God's promises. He's the sovereign over all creation. Remember that he's not scared of the dark. The dark is scared of him. And then share hope on the margins. But there's one more. And basically it all boils down to this last point. Really it all leads up to this and it all leads from this. How do we have hope in dark times? And the last point is focus on Jesus. And this is the culmination of the genealogy. This is what Christmas is supposed to be all about, Verse 16. and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, Messiah. The Messiah's come. He isn't going to throw out the Romans. a little bit of a wrinkle in the plan there. He isn't coming with a sword. He comes as a baby born into relative poverty in a manger. But then it ultimately isn't about the baby in the manger either. It's who that baby is and what he's done. See, this is God's sovereign plan coming to fruition, and it's shining the light of hope for all of us. And, and I could walk you through the story, but I think the Bible does it better. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8 starts. It says, Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus had it all, but he surrendered it because of the mess we had gotten ourselves into. And he suffered so we wouldn't have to, so that we could be reconciled to him. But his suffering is not the end of the story. Philippians chapter two, verses nine to 11. Therefore, continuing that passage, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is vindicated. He is risen. He is glorified. And so everyone will bow the knee. Might as well start now, right? See, when we focus on Jesus, it shapes us. Paul uses the Jesus story in Philippians 2 to frame and challenge the Philippians to humble themselves before each other and consider others above themselves. It's the meekness we were talking about a couple weeks ago. And so when we're under this holiday cloud, some of us, these dark times, looking at what Jesus gave up, we can still have hope. We can still keep moving forward because his death has opened up a new way of living. It's because of what he has done that we can be free from the sin that steals our hope. It's because of what Jesus has done that we can know that God has a purpose in history. And as crazy as things seem, his sovereign plan is at work. It's because of what Jesus has done that we can surrender our rights and not hold grudges because Jesus more than makes up for whatever we lose. It's because of what Jesus has done, Paul tells us in Galatians, that there is hope for healing what's ailing our nation right now. It's because of Jesus that we are adopted as God's children and co-heirs with Christ. And that means that whatever has our world unraveling, we are secure in his love, and he will one day secure us completely. All these reasons and more are why focusing on Jesus ends up being what it's all about at Christmas time and all the time. I don't know, I hope, I hope this is compelling to you. I hope this sounds as good a news to you as it does to me. But one of the fears I have of just saying focus on Jesus is it can be kind of glib. It can be something that is, is, it just doesn't maybe do it in the midst of your pain. And that's the last thing I want to do this morning. I don't know your pain, I won't pretend to because we're all different. That's why I'm not counting on myself to have the right words. I want to tell you to go to Jesus, focus on him. Because while I can only know so much or relate so much, God made you. He knows you intimately. He knows your situation completely. And he's been there. Maybe not in the specifics. But one of the unique truths of Christianity is that it shows us a God who does not sit back apart from pain in some some clinical view. He actually enters into it. Went to visit little Moses Almoranias in the hospital a couple weeks ago. It was nice. It was clean. Just like when my kids were born. No animals. No poop on the ground. No fleas. No draft. And yet, the Son of God was born in pretty humble circumstances, to say the least. He walked the dust of ancient Israel. He made friends. He lived a life. Then he called some disciples, some people to follow him. He built them into disciples. And he was abandoned. He was betrayed, rejected. Ultimately killed by the creation that he came to save. He's walked your road of disappointment. He's walked that difficulty. He's died for you. It's dark right now for some of you. And you need to know that he loves you and he is with you. And while you may feel alone, you're not. I promise you he's with you. And he wants to walk through this valley, this storm, whatever it is you're going with, he wants to walk through that with you. Please let him. Christmas is a beautiful season. Those lights are great. They're wonderful. The season brings a lot of joy. And lights should also point us to hope because they stand in stark contrast to the darkness behind them. So if we want to find hope in darkness, we need to trust that God is sovereign, that he's in control. And while sometimes it, while sometimes we think he might be asleep at the switch, Jesus' story reminds us that he knows what he's doing and he always has. And so it's my prayer this Christmas that each of us would embrace the hope in the light that God has brought this Christmas season, and that's Jesus. And to embrace this hope, we need to know and trust God's promises. We need to remember that he's not afraid of the dark and that he can make something of our messes. And and that hope isn't just something we get, but it's something we give and we take it to the lost and the least and those on the margins. And ultimately, it's all about focusing on Jesus. And if we get that, everything else may not be easy, but it's gonna find its place. So may God help us, as ironic as it sounds, in this Christmas season, to actually block out the clutter and the noise and the false glitz and focus on Jesus for his glory and for our good. Now, it may be the case that you don't have a relationship with this Jesus that brings hope that we're talking about this morning. And we are so glad you're here and that we're part of your journey this Christmas season. Um, And it may be that God's prompting you to make a decision to follow him. And there's going to be some folks up here to pray with you in just a minute and we'd love, any of us would love to walk you through what that decision looks like to say, I want to find my hope in him. Um, others, you might not be ready to, walk, ready to talk, and so but you would like some materials. So we have some of these white envelopes here. We've got a few of them here. We'll also have a couple of the ushers be out in the, the lobby area just holding these. And if you want some reading material that talks about the historicity of Christmas, the significance of Christmas, who Jesus is, then we encourage you to grab one of those um, and work through that and then contact us if you'd like so we can help you consider that, uh, finding hope in Christ. So with that, um, let me pray and then we will uh, go into a time of, of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And uh, what a great picture of hope that you give us as we see a real mixed bag of characters in the line of your Messiah, your son, Jesus. And that brings me so much hope because I know I'm a mixed bag of character, Lord. And so may we find that hope not in ourselves, not in just random um, A random wish that things will get better, but may we ground our hope in you and the fact that you are sovereign and that you've sent your son so that we could be reconciled to you. And it's because of him that we celebrate this season. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.